Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So many of you know that I stepped down as the CEO of Stupid Cancer in February of 2019. I took a bit of a gap year sabbatical. And I realized I got to be back behind the microphone. So from Offscript Media, I'm Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience, my brand new podcast as a continuation of the hundreds of episodes and thousands of guests and millions of listeners of The Stupid Cancer Show, which many of you who are listening may have listened to when it launched in May of 2007. So a quick reality check. You're listening to this show while the world is burning with the coronavirus pandemic, and I just want to make sure you're all doing your part to stay safe and keep everyone else safe. But the world is going to keep spinning, and it's our responsibility to each other to make sure that there's comfort and community. So I appreciate your taking the time out of the quarantine, panic, quarantine and chill, whatever you're doing in the coronavirus, to listen to this show. Moving on, I couldn't think of a more appropriate guest to kick off this new chapter of my life than the one and only Johnny Immerman, who just moved to New York from Chicago. Johnny and I go back to the Salad Day Breakfast Club of the early 2000s when the dawn of the young adult cancer movement began. He was the mayor of Chicago. I am whoever I am. So enjoy Johnny Immerman. I mean, I can't believe I'm just looking at you. Johnny Ehrman is just sitting here in front of me. Dude, it's good to see you, man. I know. Always. I can't think of anyone more appropriate or relevant to just kick off this kind of show with you. I mean, in the history of my entering this crazy universe of cancer and advocacy and people who were like there at the front lines, Duh. you were like the guy everyone worshipped because you're like jacked. You've been jacked since the day I met you. <laughs> You're very kind. I'm not really that jacked, but you and I were having fun, man. The early days, we were having fun. But that's we the throwback. People. It's the throwback. Yeah. And you were in this before me. I remember when, yes, you were just starting and you're like, I have this idea. I remember talking about the marathon team thing with you and you're like, should I build a marathon? Or yeah. Calling me. I remember where I was. We've been so, yes, there's a lot of history. Right. Because my first entry into young adult cancer was Craig Lustig. Great guy. And he reached out to me through whatever ether of the, I think, the pre-internet life back then. And he brought me in to meet the breakfast club. I met Brock Yetso and Doug and Heidi. And and then I met Tamika. And I think through Tamika, I met everyone else when the curtain pulled back. And you were right there, dead center, with your with Immerman Angels up and running, doing something that blew my mind. Because I was like, how the fuck did this not exist? Like, just like six years before when I was sick. (laughs) 
craziest. Are we live, by the way? We are totally oh, taping. Oh, this is live. I don't know. Sorry about the porn comment. If anyone out there is offended, but oh no, no one's going to be offended. Isn't the show this is an explicit about... show? Yeah, this is an explicit show. You Bro, know we're like why. we're like best friends, and like <laughs> like I've slept on your couch. I've spent time in your apartment. Like that is I've seen your closet true. of the same Imam and Angels shirts. <laughs> Stacked upon each other. Yeah, 75. It's like stacked like pancakes. Very simple life. You don't have to think about what you're wearing. Well, you know, Einstein only had like 40 of the same suit. So you're you're in a different category there. (laughs) I wish my brain was near that. You're much closer to Einstein than I am, by the way. But I mean, among the people whose stories I first started to hear, obviously Craig, who was also Jewish, went to Bington and had brain cancer. Like you can't get more niche one-to-one matching than that by accident. But- your story, which was like, they cut your body open, they took your organs out. Like, I was like, what? How is that, that a thing? How are you alive? <laughs> it's like really opened my mind to this whole thing. And then, God, the peer support idea was just like right there in your face. You know, I think in the early days, you had this awesome vision on we can tell stories and then spread them. And we needed it. And, and and what you've created is incredible because people need to know those stories. And I think it's it's interesting how a lot of us as young adult cancer survivors who came out in the late 90s or early 2000s, you know, we all had a little different take of how to do it. And we all bonded together, worked together, helped cross-refer based on what people needed. That was always number one, what they needed. And, and to us and our little group in the Midwest was, wait, get a buddy. You know, you have cancer, meet a buddy who says, oh, you lost a ball. I know what it's like to lose a ball. I lost a ball five years ago to the same cancer. Oh, you got to start this chemo. I did that chemo. I know all about that. I'll walk you through it. Oh, you have to have brain cancer. They're going to cut into your head. I did that five years ago. There's somebody's out there who did it. And, you know, that's kind of what we got fired up about. But what I love what what you created, Matt, was, okay, there's a way to have the stories told here and then spread them out to the masses, make them available to everyone so everyone can learn. It's like teaching class virtually everywhere. And that was a new thing in the early 2000s. I mean, I had the vision because I met people like you. I met this tribe that I didn't know existed to the extent that it did. And I I realized I had a unique vantage point because I come from marketing and I come from advertising. And, you know, there were astonishingly intelligent, passionate people there, but no one was an advertiser. And I felt like there was this need to have a brand that summed up all of our passions collectively, this rising tide consumer experience. And, but I mean, and I wound up doing something I didn't go to school for. Yeah. Like nothing I do is I got a BA in music, right? That's it. Reminds me of the opening lines to uh, Avenue Q. Like, what do you do with a BA in English? Where's my life going to be? You know, uh, all kinds of knowledge and from my college, but I can't get a degree. <laughs> so I messed the, the whatever that is. But what you went to Michigan. What did you graduate with? You have a great memory. I did go to Michigan. I did psychology. I truly so that's believe kind of adjacent to. It is. I mean, it, it definitely. It was weird that it ended up being something I used. But let me ask you this. Like, what's your opinion, Matt, on innovators, and especially in the health world? Like, do they really need, like, classic, what we think of education? Or is it 
you know, like I have a friend in Chicago who dropped out of high school, not to say everyone should do this, dropped out in the 10th grade. Now he's got like 60 people, runs an unbelievable company. And like, he just had it, you know, he had the desire and he had the smarts and he was willing to work for it. And he had the creativity. Like, do you think the education's needed when it comes to creating something like stupid cancer? Or could you have just been like, Hey, without the education, 10th grade education, we still could have built this. One of the phrases that I use enduringly is bell curve Mm. and privilege. So we had the privilege of being white guys in major metropolitan areas who Mm. very fortunately survived through this crap that could have probably killed us very easily and moved from a slightly higher pillar to into an opportunity that we we believed in and created out there. I also think that a lot of people are just naturally predisposed to being entrepreneurs and uh, diffident to the status quo. They don't want to follow the path of of probably most resistance and go through the college rigmarole and find your way up there and, and, and do what the world tells you should be done. And I didn't know I would wind up being a, an advocate when I met Craig Lustig. He's like, you should be an advocate. I'm like, what the fuck's an advocate? I'm like, it's a, it was a magazine for the, for the gay community. That's all I knew it for because it was a client of the agency I worked for. Mm-hmm. I, I, the first time I heard the word advocate, I knew it was a public advocate because you had to vote for one. And the advocate magazine, like, what is an advocate? And he's like, just, I mean, people know the story, but I was given brain cancer. I was given Robitussin for brain cancer in a misdiagnosis. And Craig's like, well, let's make sure that no one gets Robitussin for brain cancer. I was like, sold. I'm in. What the hell does that mean? (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) Now what? Start a charity. Okay. I have no idea. Give me the manual of how to start a charity. Right, right. I was given penicillin for ball cancer. Yeah. Kind of crazy. They missed it the first time. Didn't work, I assume. No, penicillin didn't work. You had to come back two weeks later for the chemo. (laughs) But I think you walked right into an opportunity that, that, you know, I, I would think like, you know, born of your condition out there, there really was a gap in younger pedi- yeah. uh, pediatric, adolescent, young adult cancer peer support out there. But there was peer support. I want to know what got you specifically into young adult cancer. You know, And why not just help everybody? It happened organically with Immerman Angels. You know, Immerman Angels you know, as a one-to-one mentor program that's free anywhere in the world. We're blessed to have over 11,000 people that volunteer to share their stories of brain cancer, survivorship, bone cancer, leukemias, everything. It could be the rarest of the rare to the, the, the most common. But we, we became and focused in the beginning on the young community because we were young. And yes. We tr- like attracts like. And so it spread really quick. And again, this is like 0405, as you know. I mean, our, our paths are so parallel. And in that era, it we didn't have the internet of what it is, right? It, it, it was talking to people. It was going out. It was for us wearing T-shirts, right? That's why right. we came up with this clothes talk idea. It was like T-shirts got us conversations with people to spread the word that helped us help people. But it, it, we were just young and we were going out to bars and restaurants and we were single and we were like trying to like, you know, we were going on dates or whatever. You're just out a lot in the city of Chicago downtown and the young survivors found us first. And actually we had a problem in Chicago for those first five years, maybe from 05 to 10, that people thought we only helped young people. And we're like, wait a second. Like, no, if you're 70 and you have 
stage three ovarian cancer. We know someone who's 75 who beat that, but those people sometimes wouldn't reach out to us because they thought we only helped young people. Well, your mission was never just young adults. You trended young adults. And I can resonate with that because very blatantly out of the gate, you know, the I'm too young for this cancer foundation, which the hashtag before hashtags, the slogan was stupid cancer was like the young adult cancer movement or community. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was intentionally ageist and alienating because our mission was this. And if you didn't like it, you don't understand it. I'm sorry. There's plenty else for you out there by comparison. I do give Heidi Adams uh, shout out to Heidi Adams. Full Big credit. Shout. She's phenomenal for converting me to young adult because I was really I felt guilt. How do you only just help this amount of people? And then cancer isn't so peachy in your 50s and 60s either, I would imagine. You know, actually, I do know, you know, so to, to that extent, focusing on young adults, that's what convinced me. Heidi yeah. convinced me. And then just seeing your organization, First Descents, a whole, the litany, the old breakfast club, you know, yeah. gang of 40 that we were. You yes. Know, getting the young adult cancer narrative done. And it was based on science. Yeah. yeah. Like we were just like a nice to have. We were a need to have. Yeah. No, I, I like you, Matt. I looked up a ton and still do to Heidi. And another guy, Alan Goldberg. Remember him? Alan, rest in peace, Alan rest Goldberg. Rest in peace, man. I when we were just starting our first year, and going to cancer conferences, and we found the young adult leaders, and it was Heidi and Alan Goldberg. Was Alan Goldberg first to sense? He Which took group? over the uh, executive director job when Brad Ludden stepped down before Ryan came in. That's right. That's right. And it met Craig Lustig like you did. And these younger guys that were ahead of us. And I just, I remember just wanting to like talk to them and getting to know them and learn from them. And one beautiful thing is, you know, Matt, is the camaraderie with the young adults. We laugh, we joke, we keep it explicit, we keep it raw. We don't it's sugarcoat hum it's it. It's humor. It's human. It's hu just the fact that we were, I mean, Heidi's site, Planet Cancer, again, RIP Planet Cancer, Amazing. was the first site I saw that made fun of cancer. Yeah. And it was like these only Jews can tell Jew jokes. It was like only cancer people can. It's like the best part of cancer is you save money on hair care products, right? <laughs> That's so dark comedy. It worked. And we were all just loving the ridiculousness of the the insanity like we're all here how the hell are we here some of us are metastatic some of us are gonna die but we're it's like the margaret mead metaphor yes totally remember heidi and that whole team with planet cancer would say flip the bird to cancer yes to hundreds of people giving the bird to cancer i mean right. you're right she was it was radical though it was radical and because you mentioned like this was all four five six there was no internet i think it was a really a, a time stamped generational moment in history that is irreplicable mm -hmm. we were able to do something and we didn't know that we were going to do this we just said all right let's figure this out and we knew we were going to be first but we didn't know yeah. where we'd wind up yeah that's exactly right i feel the same way we didn't know what we were doing i remember thinking in the beginning and maybe you felt the same that every time we hooked up Susie in new york city with lymphoma Hodgkin stage two, with Amy in Chicago, who's 30, who beat stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma, and they bonded and connected, and they both would reach out and say, we love each other. Like- You make friends for life. Yeah, I'm like, wait, like let's just keep doing that. Like yeah. I don't know what we're doing, but I know that these one-to-one -one friends for life, 
they tell you it's working. They tell you they like each other. They tell you the one who's the mentee is learning so much from the survivor mentor. And I remember in the beginning just thinking, and maybe you felt the same way, Matt, is just one at a time, just keep helping and keep helping and let's see where this thing will go. Was that sort of your mentality? Yeah, I mean, the beginning it's, as well? it's the ripple effect because yeah. you can't quite know your impact until it's there. Yeah. And I also, I've said this many, many times, I, I believe in a Steve Jobs business philosophy mm-hmm. of never giving someone what they want or expect. You give them what they didn't know they needed. And when you're in a moment of crisis in the shit happens store and you discover something that you wished you had or you're glad to find, you become an ambassador to it. And you want to tell more people about it. And I look at the rising tide mentality of you're reaching a million and a half Americans that never had a movement that spoke their language, that didn't judge them, that gave them permission to be pissed, which was radical at the time with the hallmark and the wristbands and the ribbons and pink shit out there. No one was saying it's okay to be pissed. We're pissed too. Let's make a difference. That's where I felt that this was really going to be a magnet for people to want to take action and join. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you're you're one of the first guys that I remember that said, hey, there's 70,000 of us. I don't know what the number is today. I think it's a little higher. It's 77,000 today. 77, but that's population adjusted. It doesn't mean there's more cancer. Right, right. Got it. We should quantify it. that. <laughs> you're a numbers guy. I'm impressed. That's, that's true. And so, but you're right. You were the first guy to honestly, I remember taking, saying like, okay, here's the community. This is not small. This is a lot of Americans, 70,000, 77,000 Americans are going to hear the words every 12 months, you have cancer and you're young. Right. And even though, I mean, we talk about the, I mean, we're taping the show during the coronavirus going on and they're like, oh, it's only 2% of death. I mean, young adult cancer is only like 6% of cancer, but that's 6% of people out there. And if there are 1.1 million Americans, one out of every 10 yeah. diagnoses was under 40. Yeah. And I remember making that a PSA and some marketing yeah. language. I took the data. Yeah. I took the science and, and shout out to like Archie Blyer. And some of the language that came out of the alliance was that survival rates in young adults had not improved in 30 years. But how do you schoolhouse rock that down? And how do you get people upset that these curves are working in one group and the other group, but not here? And it's about social justice, equity, dignity, and non-disparity. And people got that language. That's marketing language. That's like call to action, march in the streets language out there. That honestly, if you are a researcher, that's not your job to do. Your job is to do the research. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's... Yeah, Archie Blyer, great guy, by the way. It's great. You just brought him up. <laughs> Wonderful guy. Some of these doctors that you and I, when we went to all these conferences, I don't know, five a year, 10 a year, whatever it was, we were constantly staying in hotels. We were constantly meeting all day with this new AYA, young adult cancer group that was just becoming a thing in early 2000s and meeting doctors. And I'll always be impressed how many doctors and oncologists out of their busy schedules came and were there. And it was a teamwork between we the survivors like you and me and the others and the doctors 
and the researchers, right? They were all there. The Brandon Hayes Latins of the world, like they were there. Lenny um, Sender. Becky Johnson, Lennon, Lenny Sender. I yeah. mean, they, they came leading hospitals. And it was beyond Hippocratic. It wasn't because it was the right thing to do. It was like this was something that was a challenge. Yes. That they wanted to walk into head first. Yeah. That they were really angling to get invested in because there was a longitudinal opportunity to truly improve jargon health outcomes yeah yeah it really it really was teamwork it was like wait this is the first time that we all agree that this is a segment with unique needs and because when you're 18 to 40 when you're 26 or you're 18 or you're 35 you know dating is an issue it's oftentimes not in those other age brackets uh, banking sperm, fertility, those are unique issues. Job stuff, you probably don't own your own company or run your own company. You work for somebody. Most of us, you know, did at that time. And and how to handle that and, and, and groups like Cancer and Careers and Rebecca Nellis and these other people that were doing things to help. But like those needs, that was the beginning of people recognizing when you're a young adult that we have unique needs. And you really got that voice out there. Well, well it was about, about consumers. You. People don't like to say consumer oncology, but you're looking at the lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. You're not looking at the biology. Yeah. And it was very difficult. I mean, Livestrong in its heyday really tried to hammer home that this is about how you live. Yeah. I mean, Stuart Scott was very big. Rest, rest in peace, Stuart yeah. Scott. Amazing guy. On the quality of your life is tantamount to the quantity of your life. Yeah. And shit's always going to happen, but you got to do what you can. And it's not always going to work out the way you or your loved ones want to have. That's right. But when I wrote the Stupid Cancer Manifesto, the first one in 2008, it was based on this young adult cancer movement. It needed to be summarized into a living manifesto because Livestrong had a manifesto that I really disagreed with because, again, marketing hat. They said, we kick in the moment you're diagnosed. No, you don't. Nothing kicks in the moment you're diagnosed. Like, like we got your back. I get that. But, like, I, I'm deconstructing with my nerd hat on. But the <laughs> Stupid Cancer Manifesto was this evergreen, universal, yeah. level-setting call to action that made everyone feel welcomed out there. And to your point about lifestyle, the issues of fear, isolation, caregiving, insurance, career, sexuality, intimacy, dating – are all equally shared. Mm -hmm. Not a single word about research in there. And that's the defining ownership that I felt needed to exist and embodied all of this. Yeah, yeah, no, that is true. There's so many issues. As I like to say, there's the front end of the mule and there's the back end of the mule. The back end of the mule is is all the groups you already have cancer how are we helping these people right all these groups that give support to make their experience and their journey better than it than it than it could be and then the front end is the research side right what are we doing to solve the problem yeah we need that too and you need both sides no doubt about it what do you look at in the history of immigrant angels that you're most proud of beyond the obvious of like you're connecting people as the founder like founder to founder we're a niche market we are niche. We yeah. are very niche. Looking back, because we can talk, I want to talk about stepping down as well, because you're another peer. That's a whole other level of peer support right there. <laughs> right. Looking back at what you gave birth to, what are you, as a, as, a, as a founder specifically, what are you most proud of? I, what makes me the happiest is seeing teams and groups of people 
now thousands, over 11,000 families that say we want to help and we're in and we care and we're grateful and we want to help other people for no reward, no money, no recognition, no PR, all behind the scenes, all pure, all altruistic. It just says so much about humanity. And every time another survivor joined and I got to know him or a team member got to know him and it just, the whole thing, that was the fuel that kept us going. And I, I would say that makes everybody proud that's a part of it because there's so many people out there who do care and who do want to do good. And just like with the virus in a crazy weird way, but a kind of a parallel, I do see random acts of kindness um, in my high rise, even though I live here now in New York and I love it. I still on that email blast from my 57 floor high rise in Chicago and somebody emailed to the list, like, you know, emails to everybody in the building and someone just emailed two days ago and said, hi, I'm a younger person. I live in this building. I realize there's a lot of elderly people. There's people with weakened immune systems. There's people with cancer or whatever in treatment. If you're afraid to leave your house, here's my cell phone number. I will pick up your prescriptions. I will drop them off at your door. If you need food, I will drop that off at your house. If you need to run something for drop off, I will drop that off for you. I am here. We're in this together. I mean it. Please call me if you need help. And I'm like, that is humanity. To me right away, it reminds me of that same feeling. I always have it, but in the early days, I really felt, feel it, is that people just care. You know, they don't want anything other than knowing that their story and their mentorship from someone fighting the same cancer helped them beat it. And they and that family got a family member back and those kids got a father back or a mother back or a parent back. And it's just like the fact that people care is a beautiful thing to me. Gratitude, I think, is the number one reason why Amram and Angels exist and teamwork is really why it happens. Right, and here in New York, as you'll learn, because, I mean, you're, you're a city guy, but New York's a whole different ball of wax in Chicago. We may not yes. want to make eye contact, but we'll never let someone die in the street. I totally agree. You know, I saw someone fall in the subway the other day. Three people stopped. Yeah. I get it. New we Yorkers, actually care. care. We just don't show it. Until it's important. Yes. When it's important, and an older woman in the 70s fell in the subway, tripped, three people stopped. I mean, people literally always give their seats up for the elderly or the pregnant. It right. never doesn't happen. It's phenomenal to see that beneath this, I don't know, this this kind of disgusting, disenfranchised, sour layer of New Yorkdom lies true humanity. I think there's so much humanity here. One reason I've moved here recently and want to be here. Um, there's also open-mindedness and there's connection. And even with the virus, I mean, we're still here in this tight, dense city, and it's such a mix of people from all over the world, and uh, it is a beautiful city. I'm so excited to be here. I love it here, and there's a lot of innovation here. There's a lot of innovators in the social impact space, just like Matt, just like yourself, and, and it's beautiful. And there's so much good here. I really do feel New Yorkers get a bad rap for not caring and being too busy and being too aloof when the reality is they are until it's important. And when it's right. important, then they stop. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. They're no. busy. They're yeah, busy. Exactly. But when it's important and it matters, that you have their attention. 
Yeah, so you're in like Johnny 3.0 mode now. There was like the Johnny, I'm going to be a psychiatrist or psychologist. The Johnny, holy shit, I'm dying and start a charity. Another Johnny, and you're running this company called Close Talk. And yes. it speaks to this idea of looking back, owning your legacy, and figuring out what's next. And I, I think I was in L.A. for three weekends in a row for three separate events for stupid cancer in the summer of 2018. And I realized I just couldn't do this anymore. We were so young. We had nothing to lose. We were, I mean, I was barely, I was newly married, no kids. You know, you've been a, the best bachelor in history at this point, <laughs> but you could do anything you wanted. And one of the things that I did as an exercise, I like to use the quote, you know, moving on is hard, but knowing when is harder is so this Young Adult Alliance, you may remember this, put out these really nerdy population science strategic plans on how the fuck do we even think about doing this. And if we look back in 10, 15 years, here's what we want to see accomplished. I actually still have the original strategic plan from the Young Adult Cancer Alliance and Livestrong and the CDC, and I read it. I read it again because I read it in 2006 or seven. That's awesome. And I can say with assurance to the extent that we didn't know about the internet and mobile and any of that tech infrastructure that was coming down the pipe, nearly, if not 98 or 9% of everything in that book was done. So I look back and I said that the big we the royal we of of the young adult cancer movement. Stupid cancer may have wound up being the circus tent that carried everything forward on a consumer level and legitimized it and got people involved. And we drew crowds all over the place and we got hundreds of, maybe, maybe thousands of people to sign up for studies and trials and opt-ins that defined the data out there. We accomplished something that we set out to do 15, 16 years ago. And that was the solace I needed to realize that it wasn't quite mission accomplished, but it had a little asterisk. That we still have a lot of work to do. But now that we know there's so much about guaranteeing women have a right to parenthood out there, that's a good problem to have because you were just dying 15, 20 years ago. So the, the, the perspective of looking back and, and Jess said, my wife said something phenomenal to me and which is you spent so much time inside that apple core. You never saw the orchard. Interesting. That's powerful. <laughs> She's pretty smart too. I know her. She's smart. And you, you, um, so you left powerful. before I did, but what was going oh, yeah. through your head when you realized I have to, I have to move on from this incredible legacy. Before I answer that. So June 18, you remember the exact time when you started to feel that it was time to, to sort of pass the torch. Is that when it started hitting you, which is how long ago we're talking? It was a, a year, year and a half, half ago. Year you know, it was half. around June, July of the summer. And by August, you know, things had just gotten to the point where, when am I going to realize that I already pushed the boulder up the hill Yeah, and that it's for someone else to carry the boulder, not to the next hill, but up a little path to join everyone else at the same level of equity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how, how quick did you respond from the point that you th had those thoughts and those feelings, you got to honor them. They're authentic. You know, you, they're, they're there for a reason, right? Something's causing that, which I truly believe I felt the same way, but how, 
how long did it take you, do you feel, to get the wheels in motion to create something like off script and to move to the next step? Like, was that a quick process to you? Was it longer or shorter than you thought it was going to be? Well, I was on a roof deck heading to LAX before on that last weekend of uh, of that those three things in LA. And I was having a drink with a friend of mine and I said to her, point blank, I don't think I could do this anymore. And she said to me, you're going to be fine. And that's all I guess I needed to hear, the simplicity of those words. So I'll make this fairly quick because I think I want to do a whole other show about like what the hell the process was to de-Velcro Matt <laughs> after 14 <laughs> years of this. Yeah. But I told one of our strategic... I, first, I came home and told my wife and she said, what took you so long? <laughs> told my dad, Mayor Lou, God bless you, Mayor Lou. You know, he's like, what took you so long? He's the man. They're all proud of me. You've done enough was what I kept hearing out there. It's time for someone else. And it's time for you to find the next Matt, whatever, Matt nine point, whatever I'm up to now. Yeah, I can't imagine you doing more. I, I'm one of those people. I agree. And, and you know, in the inside when authentically, it doesn't feel the same. And I think, well, we, we both built it. our own glass ceilings, right? Yes. You yeah. know, when did you realize and how long did it take to gee Johnny if I, Remember angels. So for me, and thanks for sharing that because it is interesting. You know, there is this like 10 to 12, maybe 13 years that seems to be this crazy trend in sort of co-founders like you and me in the cancer world that operated 100% on adrenaline, um, working seven days a week, knowing we could make a difference, um, probably like inspired by living after beating cancer, right? And right. just doing it. But then around a decade plus, we hit a wall. Yeah. And you hit yours. I hit mine. Lindsay Abner in Chicago, wonderful human. You know her too. She hit hers. Um, there's all, it's it's common. Um, and I think it's not even beyond cancer. I don't think it's a cancer thing all the way. I think it's just it's a about, founder thing. It's a founder thing. Um, for me, I started to get obsessed and again, we're two years into closed talk full-time, so it's 2020. I started to get obsessed with this idea around 14. This is about six years ago. Wow, okay. I held on. This is brewing longer. for a while. Yeah, this has been brewing. And what I've learned is if you're going to pull the trigger to do it, you better love it more than any possible job out there. Because you and I both know it takes your soul yes. seven days a week. It doesn't stop. Many a night on the couch in our office. Yes. Passing out on couches. Yes. Sleeping in your office. <laughs> like, you know, just there's no time. You miss the gym. You can't do this. You miss yeah. meals because the need of people with cancer or in any other social impact arena is pervasive and huge. And guess what? There's only a couple of us on a team trying to solve it. So it's like us versus the world in some ways and not to discourage anyone from going out there and solving big social problems because you should. And I still think it's the best life and I wouldn't do anything differently. Did you have like a, you woke up one morning and said, that's it. You know, I got obsessed with the idea. It wasn't that I didn't wake up one morning and it was it. It was a voice that kept getting louder saying, there's something bigger here. You should go build it. There's something bigger here. You should go build it. And what Closed Talk is and what this movement is all about, it's a social impact company. And we learned it directly from our work with Emmerman Angels. It, 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 I, just to paraphrase, it is a natural extension of everything <laughs> you built, which yes. goes back to what I've done. Now, I took a sabbatical. Who takes a sabbatical? I did. I'm proud of you. What we're doing together is just so 
emblematically parallel. Yes. I'm getting back Very. behind a microphone. I was the first podcaster in the country before Very. the word fucking podcaster was a word. Internet radio, baby. <laughs> and I miss being behind the mic. It's the one thing I want to carry forward because it's the one thing I'm most passionate about doing. It was the first program of Stupid Cancer. So we're both following these incredibly similar trajectories based on the fact that, hey, we want to make a living, which is a good thing to do. But we want to have social impact at the same time. Totally. And there's ways to do it. But yes, to do both is hard. Do well and do, well and do good. Do well and do good. And, and for you, it's a natural extension of what you do. Like this is really your 2.0. By this, Johnny's looking around the studio that you can't see listening to a podcast. I'm looking at equipment that's 2020 and it used to be what 2007 or whatever it was and these old microphones and it was a dumpster fire space. hardware back then. Totally. And I, you were doing it out of your house in your room with like maps and corkboards and stuff on the wall and now you have this awesome beautiful black studio and black and white and awesome monitors and huge what is that like a 75 inch Vizio right it now? is this it's, place it's is awesome little man toy yeah <laughs> this place is great and this is your 2.0 it's a natural extension and I think there's a huge parallel between the two of us buddy that we both learned along the way where our bullseye was and for me you clear I mean it's clear. anyone listening to this knows this your bullseye and you know this is the microphone you missed it like talking about the hard to talk about stuff, inspiring people to connect, teaching people. I mean, that's you. This is your 2.0 and you hired an awesome person in Allison to keep all the good stuff with. Yeah, shout out to Allison Silverman, who is the new CEO of Stupid Cancer. She's a great person. Wishing her all the best. It's it's gonna be a fabulous future for that organization. Yes, yeah, she's wonderful. And similarly to me, I got excited because in downtown Chicago, I watched this for years. As you know, I wore the same t-shirt with different angels on it for over a decade. Yes. Like, I, I talk about commitment, right? I knew that that worked. Only Dude, be- my license plate said stupid cancer. Yes, right. I mean, when you love your baby and you know it helps people, you're like, well, why would I not want that to right. spark a conversation? Mm-hmm. I wanted to spark a conversation. Dude, your, your, your Jeep or whatever you drove yes, had the Immerman Angels Mobile logo on, on it. It was wrapped it. in Johnny. And now there's a closed dog car. My brother has one. I have one. My mom has one. They all have closed dog on it. See, <laughs> it's the carry forward. It's you're taking it your core competency. It is. And you're pushing it in this other direction directly resultant of the success that you accidentally i like to believe the success is the mistake that went right yes so what we carry forward by accident yes it is and you you see something along the way and i think for entrepreneurs it's so key because you don't plan on building your 2.0 or your 3.0 you only become aware of how it could really change the world by doing your 1.0 Mm-hmm. Or the previous what you don't out. know is I didn't know what a podcast was. Yep. They just stuck a mic in front of me saying, you can go be a voice. I don't know. I'm an NPR wonk since I was a kid. Like, all right, I'll just do a radio show. I'll Why say not? Shit. And I'm going to talk real shit. On yeah. this. And you kept it real too. And you were doing that in the early days and talking about. Well, stuff. no one said fuck on the air with yeah. cancer. Like yeah. it was just, it had to be that. Yeah. Yeah. It had to be that. And, and, and the young adults, 
they connected to it. They connect to it still. And still get funding, I should say. <laughs> yes. The fact that Thank like, you, Pharma and our sponsors at Stupid Cancer and all the donors out there for helping me say fuck on the air <laughs> for 14 years. And that's okay. They were okay with yes. it. You're right. That's a big deal. That's even more impressive. I they agree. kept giving me money. The more I was like, <laughs> it was like, wasn't even inverse proportional. It's just like proportional. More fucks, more money. <laughs> You proved them all wrong, man. You could really do it. Get the maybe more conservative pharma company to still support you and still say the word fuck. That's yeah. an accomplishment. Good work. <laughs> well, I got to say, I'm glad you live here now because we could do more podcasts. We're social distancing for those of us who are six feet apart. We really are. We did the, the Y5, which is what my kids are saying really now, the are. Y5. Like it. And we're going to Purell the fuck out of ourselves <laughs> all day, every day. Love it. And I think we might do a show on the virus. I think it's really important to talk about that here on the show. So we'll look forward to Smart. throwing that up in the feed at some point in the next couple of weeks because that shit ain't going away anytime Smart. soon. Smart. John, I got to tell you, like, this is the epic reunion of all epic reunions. And thank you for being there in a space you never really wanted to be in and a space I never wanted to be in. But you're a legacy. You're a hero. And I'm grateful for you. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. The executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our managing producer is Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Matthew Zachary. Matthew Zachary is our sound engineer. Thanks to Constance Showquist, Sarah Kottenoff at Podsites, Jen Horanjeff at Savvy Co-op, David Goldstein at We Go Health, Froth Media, and Mirrorball Agency for production support. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and never miss a new episode. Help us grow by giving us a like and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow Offscript Media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. To advertise on our platform and for all media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Share your comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations by emailing contact at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.